listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This is a great day, an exciting day. And for over the last 19 hours, people by the billions have been gathering in churches around this world, in cathedrals, in grass huts, in movie theaters, in churches, uh, in smaller group settings, out in the jungle, wherever it might be. They're gathering together and have gathered to celebrate this greatest day of history. And today, a number of Harvest Kelowna folks could not be here with us as they are far away, some literally around the other side of this world and so we've had contact with them and they have come to you via video to be able to celebrate with you and to wish you a happy Easter. Take a look at the screen. Hello Harvest family, Christ has risen, happy Easter. This year I'm spending Easter in the beautiful country of Zambia with the wonderful people of Mangu Western Province. Hey Harvest. Christ is risen. So happy Easter from Peace River Bible Institute. Hello, Kelowna Harvest. Uh, Here we are at Barossa Valley, South Australia, wishing you a happy Easter. And rejoicing with you in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is risen. Risen indeed. Hi, Harvest. Just want to say I miss you guys. But I'm here celebrating Easter at Cape and Ray Bible School in Australia. And I just want to say Happy Easter and He is risen. Good morning, Harvest family. Morning, Harvest family. From Thailand. Wishing you a very blessed Easter. Christ has risen. Hi, Harvest Kelowna. April Ryan, we're in Nevaeh here. James is on his way back from Boston. Just want to say a very quick Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Is that awesome? Great way to be able to be connected with people uh, through technology. And so we are here together to celebrate uh, this greatest day. And so with Bibles open, we're going to read here about the events that took place on that greatest day of history. So starting at verse 1 of Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen. As he has said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. To go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so here as we look at these 10 verses, we're going to take a look at some snapshots of some of the different people or characters that were involved in the resurrection narrative and take a few snapshots, so to speak, of this greatest day, this greatest day in the history of our world. And through this narrative, I believe that we will see in these characters some characters or some 
some people who, whose lives may represent where we might be at today. This first one doesn't necessarily count for many of us, I am sure. And the, but because the first people that we see here are angels. We see some angels in this story, messengers of God. Now, a person could spend a lot of time studying uh, the concept and the characters and the personalities of angels from the Word of God. It, that this is where the term and this is where the understanding of angels come from in the first place, from the Word of God. And we see throughout the Word of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament that they are God's messengers, they are God's servants. Now, there can also be a lot of really bad teaching and misconceptions when it comes to the thought of angels, and I want to just clear a few of those things up, because this is not what I think, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that human beings do not become angels after they die. The Bible teaches that. Angels will never become and never were human beings. They were created by God for a specific purpose, as we see here, even in this story. But we do see that the angels do serve a very important purpose. And we see here in verse 2, it says, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. I just love this. The angel rolls away the stone. Now, one thing we know about angels that we see in the word of God is that they are very strong, that they are mighty. And here this stone was a large concern for the ladies. One of the things that we understand from some of the other gospel narratives that we read, that they were concerned on their way to their tomb. How in the world are we going to move back this stone? And yet the angel was able to roll it back with no problem. In the Old Testament, in 2 Kings, we have an account of the angel of the Lord one night, one night destroying 185 Assyrian soldiers. One angel, one night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers destroyed them. And so we see that they're mighty, that they are powerful. There's many other aspects about angels we could go into. How they are, We have angels, guardian angels, angels that send messages. There are so many truths from the reality of God's word that we can go into, but we don't have time to today. Here we see the angel rolling back the stone. The ladies had no idea how, it was gonna, how they would ever do it, but it was no problem for the angel. The angel rolled back that stone, and I love, I love, I love what ends up taking place here as you read here. The angel rolls back the stone, and then what does he do? He sits on it. What was a problem for the ladies became a lawn chair for the angel. It was just not a problem. And oftentimes you see in the word of God that when someone is seated, it means job complete, job finished. And that is what we even see with Jesus. What's he doing today? He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. His job was done. It was finished at the cross, celebrated at Easter in his resurrection. And so he rolls back the stone. He sits down. It is an act of triumph. And even though we can never become angels, we can learn from these, these messengers of God. And the greatest thing I believe that we can learn are to be messengers for God. Later on in this chapter, in Matthew 28, we are told by Jesus to go and make disciples. I, I was sad this week, I read an article how the majority of people in North American churches don't know what the Great Commission is. I hope that is not true of Harvest Kelowna, that we are amped up, we are fired up, and we're taking seriously the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples. In fact, it's our number four pillar, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what we're to do. And that's the angels were messengers of God. But also we see something about the quality of these angels is their instant, unquestioning obedience to God and his commands. Whatever God told them to do, they did it. 
This obedience to the word of God. May we be like those angels. I came across this quote this past week, shared it with some of the men in our church. I trust that this quote would encourage you. True obedience means you love to obey God. You love to obey God as a salesman loves profit, as a sick man loves health, as a hungry man loves meat and drink, and as a captive, as captive slaves love liberty. Oh, would we be obedient to God and to his word. May we learn from these special messengers from God. But second of all, we're going to take a look at some other characters here. And some of these characters could very well pin each one of us down that we would be able to relate to what they have gone through, what they are going through here in this narrative. And I trust that we would be able to interact personally in this way and to see that for them, the king still had one more move. Because for some of them, they were filled with doubt, confusion, grief, sadness, not sure which way to go. But the king, as you will see here in the story, is all you already know with the resurrected Christ has one more move and Christ can have one more move in your life today and one more tomorrow and multiple times because his mercies are new every morning and that is the faithfulness and the goodness of our God today we celebrate the greatest day in history but is this personally your greatest day because this is the day I trust that your history would intersect with this history historical day in a life-giving eternally eternity altering way so let's take a look at some of the other characters first of all we see these guards strong rugged exterior I mean these weren't new recruits these weren't the, the newbies that were put on this job to go to guard, uh, to do this guard duty. They were part of the Roman Praetorium Guard. These were elite soldiers. They represented Rome. The religious, religious leaders went to Pilate and said, hey, we don't want any funny business. We don't want those disciples coming to steal the body, bodies of this Savior. And Pilate didn't want any of this monkey business going on either. And so he, 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 he commissioned four of his um, soldiers to be there, these squads of soldiers to be there and to guard this tomb. No one was getting in and no one was getting out. They represented Rome. These guys were tough, hardened uh, fighters. They, they fought in battles and wars. They were decorated, disciplined, elite soldiers. And yet when the angel came to them, what do we see? Verse 4, it says, For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Strong exterior, but when push comes to shove, they cower in fear and unbelief. They're down on the ground. They're terrified. They're, 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 like, they're laying on the ground. They're like, okay, maybe if we don't move, we won't get struck, struck down. And as you continue to read in Matthew, just in the verses following this story that um, we're looking at here today, some of them leave their post, which was a punishable crime. They're not to leave their post, but some of them left their po post, went to the religious leaders and told them that, it told them the events of what took place. The religious leaders bought them off, paid them a large, it says large sum of money so that they would lie and say, oh yeah, we fell asleep and while we were sleeping, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. So they told them, you know, make up this lie, make up this story. And just like, well, first of all, these decorated soldiers for falling asleep should be put to death for what they did, but they weren't because they were telling a lie because they didn't fall asleep. They don't know what happened. It was, they were confused by what took place, but they were bribed to tell this lie. They were part of what started out and continues to this day to be one of the greatest cover-ups in history. People who have denied and will continue to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only is it biblical history, you check it. It is all throughout secular historical history. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Some say that 
You have all kinds of different theories and, and different ideas of what took place. But here we see these soldiers denying the truth of what really happened. Denying the reality that Christ is risen. And I wonder if there are some here in this room today. Maybe you can relate to the guards. You have this tough exterior, this strong, confident, I'm strong, I can get through this. Life has, has been difficult, but I'm just pushing through. Maybe you've even had some decorated success in your life. And yet today, if you were to be honest, you are full of fear. You're full of anxiety. You're, at times at night, you're, you're fighting through the night with fear, wondering what the future holds and what will take place. I want to declare to you today, folks, because of the resurrection of the dead, the king has one more move for you. He has one more move for you, for those that are struggling with fear and disbelief today. Perhaps your disbelief and, and, and your thinking denies the authenticity of the Bible, of Christianity, of religion, of all of this. And maybe you would consider yourself even here today an atheist. First of all, I want to thank you for coming. I'm thankful that you are here and, or maybe you're not sure and maybe you're having some leanings that way towards being an atheist because you just don't believe in God. There's just been too many things that you can't explain and you don't understand. And part of it is more than likely, and if I can say this in love, is probably because you haven't taken the time to fully research and understand and walk with people who do understand and who would be able to help you and encourage you in that way. Maybe you say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. It's fairy tales. It's not true. I don't believe in this resurrection from the dead. What a hoax. And I want to say this to you in love, and please receive it in love today, but I honestly believe that, practically speaking, there are no such thing as atheists in our world. It's something that people will often use to hide behind or to keep from accepting the truth, to come face-to-face -face with the reality of truth and face-to-face -face with the reality that they are not God, that there is a God. And I can say, honestly, there is no such thing as a, practically, as a practical atheist, and here's why. You all worship something. We all worship something, whether it's the God of the universe or money or position or power or fame or our bodies or physical fitness or um, consumerism or entertainment or thrills and spills. It's what gets you up in the morning is your God. It's what's driving you throughout the day, what's going through your mind. That is a really good understanding of who you're worshiping, who you are rearranging your life around and who you're uh, arranging your life for. It might be a person trying to impress someone. It might be trying to impress parents. But none of these things will ever satisfy. It will be a well that will just continue to keep going deeper and deeper in, in, into just nothingness. But Jesus and the word of God and what we're talking about here today brings clarity. Can I please tell you in love, don't settle for a religion or a faith system or philosophy or your own ideas that has not conquered death. Can't do that. As one studies the life biblically and historically of the life of Jesus, we are left with one answer, that we must put our faith and our trust in him. Biblical Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings the clarity to life that we're looking for. Does your pursuit of whatever it is in this world does it have an answer for death and eternity? I've been in ministry a good number of years. I've lived a good number of years. Some of you say that's for sure. And I've been around enough situations as a pastor that has put me into life and death situations that I can guarantee you that there is not just an end at death, that that is just a new beginning. 
But that beginning to life in heaven comes one way and one way only. There's only one way to get to heaven. All religions do not lead to God. This is what God's word tells us. This isn't my opinion. This is God's opinion. This is God's truth. And here is what distinguishes, listen up, biblical Christianity from other, any other teaching, philosophy, religion, or faith system. You see, Christianity, listen to this. You may get offended by this, but listen carefully. Christianity is not founded on the teachings of its leader or its founder. It's not founded on, our te- on teachings of, of Jesus or from the word of God. No, Christianity is founded on the resurrection of its leader. And on that basis, because he has the authority, he holds the keys to life and to death, to heaven and to hell. Then we wrap our lives around his teaching and we obey and we do what he says because of what he has already have, has done. It is because of the resurrection we live out the truths of God's word, not trying to earn favor with God. We can earn favor with God. Doing a whole bunch of good works and living a good life and living better than the next person won't get you to heaven. Only through Jesus Christ and what his word tells us how to get there. And we'll get there in a few moments. Every other religious leader, they may have, have and, and they do have some good moral teachings. But you can go to the grave of Buddha, of Muhammad, of Confucius. But you can go to Jesus' grave And it's empty. It's empty, empty, empty. Every day, thousands of people will flock to Jerusalem, to the garden tomb. These are pictures that I've taken uh, off of social media from friends or family members who recently have been to the place that gives a perfect description to what God's word tells us, uh, the location that God's word gives us in the book of Luke. And they go there to this place that is uh, thoroughly believed to be the empty tomb where Jesus Uh, was laid and the tomb that he rose from. And every person that goes in there becomes yet again another eyewitness, just like those ladies, just like the disciples, just like Peter and John, when they went running there, as we read in another gospel account, became eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. And because of that, he has the authority to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So don't be like the guards. Be living in fear and disbelief. If you're on a journey, if you're questioning, if you're wondering, we have available at the back table on your way out here some Gospels of John and some wonderful resources at the back that will help you in this. But we want to help you in this. We want to help you answer. We want to help answer your questions. We want to walk with you, encourage you in this journey to understand who the biblical Jesus is and what he has done and what that means in your life. It is life-giving. It is life-saving. It is eternity-altering relationship that we can have. And so pick up one of these booklets afterwards. We would love to talk to you and and, uh, just help yourself. They'll be on the back table afterwards. This is a great starting point by asking questions, but continue to keep searching. Come back next Sunday. We'd love to have you join a small group where other believers can walk with you and and encourage you and pray with you along this journey. The next group of people that we see here, we see the angels, we see the guards, but then we see the disciples. And well, actually, we don't see much of them, but what we do know from the other gospels is they are hiding. They are afraid. They are hiding in fear, thinking that they're next. Here they were, devoted followers of Christ, yet today we've seen them, prior to Easter Sunday, we see them discouraged and distant. 
They had had a pretty amazing three-year run with Jesus. There were miracles and teachings, and the crowds were building. It was like, this is awesome. And, and they're already starting to think about Jesus being, he's the Messiah, he's the one, he's going to overthrow Rome, he's going to be the king. And they start fighting over cabinet positions, but this is so good. Every, and then he's training them up. I mean, they're doing miracles. And they're, he's sending them out, and then he comes back, and they do a debrief and say, how did this miracle go? How, how did you guys do with this? And they're like, hey, we struggled here. And, and he taught them, and he loved them, and they had this amazing three-year run with Jesus. And now he's dead. Great. What do we do now? They're discouraged. They're distant. And perhaps this might describe you today. Perhaps you have followed Jesus in the past. You've trusted him. You've served him. But circumstances have happened and you find yourself today distant from Jesus, discouraged, just kind of disillusioned. But remember for you, just like for the disciples on that day, for you today, the king still has one more move. He has one more move for the discouraged and the distant. And then lastly, we see the ladies. We see these faithful servants, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we're told. And Mary Magdalene was the one. She is a bit of a questionable lady. A lot of stories about her. She had a troubled past. In fact, one of the things we know about her is that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. But in Jesus, she found deliverance and forgiveness and healing. And here, these ladies are going to the tomb, discouraged, confused, and yet what are they doing? They're still faithfully serving. They're not giving up. Things haven't worked out like they thought, but they thought those men, they didn't do the right job. In, in preparing the body of Jesus, they heard what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done. And it was just like, that's not the proper barrier. But the men were in a hurry. And, and they had to get the body off the cross. And, and they had to get him in the tomb. And they're like, he needs a proper burial. You know, women do things right, usually, you know, much better than men. And so they are coming to the tomb. And they're faithfully serving, even though they're wondering, how in the world are we going to get in there? There's this huge rock. What's going to happen? Tired, weary, confused, dealing with loss. I mean, this Jesus, I mean, he was everything to them, and, and now he's gone. And yet they continue to faithfully serve. They still had faith. They pressed in. They didn't shrink back. They didn't allow even the thought of his big stone. You know, they could have just stayed home and said, well, what's the use? There's a big stone. We might as well. No, they, they still put one foot in front of the other and said, I'm gonna, we're going to go there and we're just going to trust the Lord. We're going to trust that something happens that we can get in there. And, and, and they weren't looking for a resurrection. They had burial spices. And yet they pressed through. They didn't know the outcome was going to be so amazing. And look how their faithfulness was blessed. The angel says in verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. He is not here. He is risen. Now go tell the disciples. Look at this. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. And that is our message. That is what we are to do. Come and see what Christ has done in my life. Come and declare what Christ has done and then go and tell others. Live your life for others. Come and see, experience him. Go and tell. And then, oh, I love this verse 9. And, and notice when I read this passage earlier, I don't know if you noticed this, but you see it in the ESV, the number of times it says behold. Well, when behold is said, it means behold. In other words, wake up. 
Something to make, like, it's mic drop. That was probably, you know, how we have mic drop now, you know, in a, you know but, but here it's mic drop, and now it's like, now you got to listen up. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. They become the first eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. And look at the response. They came up, they told, and they hold the feet of Jesus, and they worship him. Here we see these humble, faithful servants who are also worshipers. You see, that's where real life begins. That's where resurrection power and resurrection reality happens is when we humble ourselves before Christ, before the risen one, and we worship him. And worship him means none other. He is our Lord. He is worthy. And we see the transformation that took place in them. This is the proper and the adequate response for anyone who encounters Jesus. Humility, awe, thankfulness for all that he's done. And for those ladies in that moment, it all made sense. His teachings, everything he had said, his death on the cross and now his resurrection, it was all true. It's true. These faithful servants were also humble worshipers. Many of you will know that I have a 21-year-old niece who lives in Abbotsford. My sister and her family, you see them in the picture there. And my niece Courtney has a very rare skin disorder where her skin will blister easily as a result of any sort of friction. It's called epidermolysis bullosa, EB for short. They're often referred to as butterfly children because the skin is said to be as fragile as a butterfly's wings. At first glance, people just assume that she's perhaps a burn victim, but it's much different than that, and it's a very serious condition with no cure. They've driven the route from Abbotsford to Children's Hospital in Vancouver hundreds of times in her 21 years. And every 30 hours or so in their home in Abbotsford, my sister or some care workers Every 30 hours, we'll take bandages off of what's probably about 80% of her fragile skin, off of her 80% of her body, and they will treat her skin carefully, put some ointments and creams on it, and then she's rebandaged back up. Since her birth, she's had amazing care by one doctor in particular who has been with her all, ever since birth, the day she was born. We'll call him for short, Dr. C, and partially because I can't say his last name. But Dr. C has been amazing. There was one time a few years ago, my niece has a bit of an attitude. She gets that from her mother, I'm sure, my sister. And, um, and she was in a bit of a ticked off mood with the doctor. And the doctor said to her, um, said to the family, and said to Courtney specifically, they said, he said, I'd like you to come in and I'd like you to do a dressing change in the hospital so I can just see Courtney's skin. And in a bit of a sassy and ticked off mood, she says, no, I'm not going. If you want to see my skin, you can come out to Abbotsford to see me. So he jumped on his bicycle and rode 111 kilometers one way on the Simpson Trail because you can't take bikes on the number one. And he rode 111 kilometers, four hours each way, so 222 kilometers in total to come and witness and be part of a dressing change so he could check up on his Courtney. He's showing this kind of love and care uh, to her and for the family. Two and a half weeks ago, the same doctor, sadly but necessarily, had to amputate part of her arm. 
because of skin cancer that had shown up. And so he performed the surgery and all things seemed to go well. And so a few days later, Charlotte and I jumped in our car Sunday after church a few weeks ago and we went to go see her first dressing change on her, on her arm. And we got to meet Dr. C. I actually took a little picture of him uh, without him knowing. Um, he had just come out of another surgery, but he needed to come and check on his dear Courtney. And we watched him go over and check her arm and look at the place where the surgery took place. And he looked at it, looked at his work, and he said, perfect. And he did so without gloves. Take a look at all the other medical personnel there. And he does this every time to Courtney. To the shock and horror at times. And the, uh, doctor, uh, you forgot to put on gloves. You forgot to put on a gown. And he looks at them and says, with Courtney, I don't use gloves. I don't use masks. He believes that in touching her skin provides her with a level of comfort and care that he wants to give to her. And besides that, he says, I've cared for her so long that her germs are my germs. Isn't that an incredible story? So touching. And we're so thankful for a doctor like that. Folks, this morning I want to talk to you about the divine physician. What this doctor has done, as amazing as it is, pales in comparison to what our God has done in sending his son, his one and only son, to this earth. God in the flesh humbled himself, leaving the glory and the majesty of heaven, and he came to this sin-filled, wicked earth. He entered the human condition, and he came to us to not only teach us and talk to us, but to touch us. You see him touching the leper. Touching the blind, the beggar, entering into their pain and bringing healing. He walked and talked and took time for criminals and tax collectors and prostitutes and hardworking businessmen and concerned mothers and fishermen and political and religious leaders, the blind and the beggars. He, he, he took time for them all. And he came to this earth to bridge the chasm that existed between us and God. The chasm that has been caused by sin. And whether someone is a hardened criminal with a rap sheet as long as a roll of toilet paper to that cute little child who has a temper tantrum, God's word tells us we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all been selfish. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. And his holy standard, it's perfection. And our sin causes us to be unholy, to be impure. But on Good Friday, my sin killed Jesus. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took the sin of the world upon himself. He bore the wrath of God, the punishment that you and I deserve for, this, for our sins. And my sin killed my Jesus. But on Sunday, Jesus killed our sin. Amen? Because of that, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. The greatest day in history means nothing, nothing if you don't bring your history, your sin, yourself to the foot of the cross and receive in faith what he has done. It's not enough just to know the story. We need to know the Savior. And the ladies here, upon seeing and understanding this truth, came and they worshipped 
Oh, would that be our response? That's the appropriate response to what Christ has done. Later on, we see similar responses of the disciples when they encounter Jesus. You see, it does no good to have a bunch of religious activities and good works and try to live the best life that you can if you haven't declared in humility, Jesus is Lord. If you haven't asked him to forgive you of your sins and receive his forgiveness over your sins. And it's from that point when we've done that that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so, it starts with us turning to God. Turning to him as humble worshipers and say, I can't, God. I'm sorry. I've missed it, messed up. I missed the mark. I'm a sinner. I'm less than perfect every day. But I believe you're so holy and so pure that one sin will separate me from you. But I believe that what you said is true and that you love me so much that you sent your son to this earth to be the full and satisfying payment for my sins. And when we ask him to forgive us of those sins and we repent and we tell him I'm sorry and repenting means we desire to turn away from those sins and live the life that he desires us to live, we're saved. We become his child. And so we turn to him. We give our life to him as our Lord and our Savior. And at that point, the Holy Spirit comes into us. Our sins are forgiven and he gives us, the Holy Spirit does the power, the capacity to live a life for him experiencing day by day, at times slow by slowness in our lives, victory and forgiveness over our sins. And one day, however, we will be with him in eternity. So today, as we look at these snapshots from the greatest day in history, I wonder what would best describe your life today? Oh, would we be like the angels, messengers of God, that we would be messengers and heralders of the truth of God's word to tell others to be obedient to what God's word has to say, that we would be ones who would go and make disciples and tell others the good news. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself, you're like one of the guards. There's a strong exterior, but inside you're living in fear. You have a questioning heart. You don't know where you stand with God. You don't know what to believe. The king for you has another move in your life. Come to him. Draw close to him. Pray to him. Take and start reading the word. Read this booklet that we have for you today. Or maybe you're like the disciples. You've had a good history with God. You've had a history with Jesus. You've, you've done what I've talked about here, but there's some distance. Some things have happened. Maybe you've been hurt. You've been offended. Maybe by another church. Maybe by another Christian. Maybe by a family member. Somebody close to you hurt you in some incredible ways. Resurrection power means that you have power to forgive. You have power for healing, for cleansing, and for a new life. And to be brought close, you look at the life of the disciples. Boy, those guys messed up in those final days, didn't they? Those final hours, and then we see a restoration, and we see these cowards and these fearful men become warriors and carriers of the gospel message because they have experienced the forgiveness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. You can find your way back. Our God has another move for you. Or maybe you're like one of the ladies. You've remained faithful in service and despite discouraging and difficult times, your desire is to continue to keep pressing on and continue in worship. Worshiping and celebrating and serving our risen Savior. Would you continue on doing that in faith with a humble heart? Oh, dear folks, you've got to believe that there is one, no matter where you're at today, 
Our king has another move for you, and it starts in prayer. It starts in humbling ourselves before him like those ladies. Oh, my Lord and my God. And then you start filling the blanks and talk to him. I can ask you to bow your heads right now, and perhaps you want to just quietly where you're at, pray some kind of a prayer to God, one that reflects your heart. Oh, God, I find myself like those guards filled with unbelief. Oh, I'm like the disciples, I'm drifting. Oh, I'm like the ladies, I want to stay faithful, but it's hard, help me to be a worshiper. You see, the story of Easter is that God makes dead things alive. That he brings a dead and drifting heart back to his heart as we come running towards him. He accepts us and wraps his arms around us. He can bring life to a marriage or a relationship that is dead or dying. He can help a relationship that's on life supports. He can bring healing and wholeness. A future that may seem foggy and confusing. He has one more move. Will you trust him today? Will you trust him as Lord and Savior? And it's all possible because on that day, death was arrested and new life began. God, I pray that even now, in this moment, we would have that time of talking to you, the God of this universe whose Son is the risen Savior, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. They are interceding even now with angels taking the prayers that God's people are praying right now and taking them to the very throne of heaven. Oh God, may our prayers be full and authentic and real, calling out to you. Oh God, would you have so many moves here in the lives of these dear people, each one you know full well. You know their past, you know their present, you know their future. And God, I pray that we would lean into you. We thank you. We can celebrate on this day and that on that day that death was arrested.